I want to ask you three questions this morning. I want to ask you, um, first off, are we praying as we ought to pray? Am I praying as I ought to pray? And are you praying as you ought to pray? Because we're going to look at this morning the power of a praying church. And we're going to see what happens when a church prays. So get your Bibles, pull out your phones, because I know everybody brings their Bible on their phone now, right? We're going to go to Acts chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Then the angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where there were many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him, he did not find him. He cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. It's uh, kind of interesting, this story here, because we see a church who gets together and is praying together, right? We don't do that very often anymore. wonder why. Just throwing that out there. wonder why. I heard someone once say that much prayer equals much power. Little prayer equals little power. No prayer equals no power. And I know that in this day and age that we tend to 
hear what's going on around us. And the message that we hear is that power may not be a good thing. But I'm telling you, a praying church is powerful in a good way. It can sometimes seem, um, especially like when things are going well and you kind of just sitting there and you're going, huh, you ever been there? You thought, man, things are going really good. And then in the back of your mind is this little thought, this small little thought that says, hmm, I wonder when the other shoe's going to drop. Have you ever been there? I've been there. When is the other shoe going to drop? The book of Acts, the church is expanding and there are new leaders being cultivated and, and Jerusalem, all of a sudden, Herod starts persecuting the church. He executes James. And that was right after, not too far after, the stoning of Stephen. So we see this pattern begin to, to come out. And this leads everyone to believe that, that they need to get out of Jerusalem. And I think I'd be with them. Right? Well, some of the disciples stayed there because they continued to evangelize. The members of the church grew in number. But many believers left Jerusalem. And even though they did, the persecution didn't stop. It hadn't stopped at all. And our passage today focuses on the persecution that continued for the church in Jerusalem. And it emphasizes the role that prayer can play in our lives when you and I are facing a challenge and we see the, the essence of intercessory prayer. That's why it's so important that we pray together. You know, each Sunday, Pastor Jerry and I have, have said on repeated times, I, I, I hear Pastor Jerry saying it all the time, these altars are never closed. I don't know why we use that terminology of, we're going to open the altars now. They're never closed. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. I remember being in my 20s somewhere, probably my mid to late 20s, probably late 20s, leading worship at a church, and uh, probably the tallest guy in the congregation of all people. <laughs> About the second song in comes walking down the aisle, and he just lays on the floor face down. And I remember God beginning to move and all of a sudden people just came to the altars and they got together, it, just the worship time. Nobody had said anything. I remember other times when I've been in churches and people were afraid to come to the altar. And uh, I, you know me, I like to watch movies. I like to watch TV. I like to, I like to watch things. And there's a line in a, in a movie where somebody was saying, well, I pray, f I pray for you. And this other person said, I suspected just as much. And they answered back, well, don't you expect me to come to one of your crazy church meetings where you're hollering and screaming and, and all this, that, and the other thing, because I'm not going to do that. And the person said, well, if you come, we won't make you eat a live chicken on your first visit. You know, this altar is not a place to be afraid of. 
I promise you, we won't make you eat a live chicken on your first visit. But there is something special about getting together as the body of Christ, amen? There is something special about kneeling at these altars that brings us closer to God. If we want to pray to God and be in unity as the church, as the body of Christ, we've got to get together. You know, we look at this story and we see some serious things happening, don't we? We've got some serious things happening with people in our church. Back in the book of Acts, we see that Stephen and James have been murdered. Peter is in prison and he's heavily guarded. So what do the believers do? They do what they can do. They get on their knees and they pray. And they don't just say, dear Lord, please deliver Peter. <laughs> they pray earnestly and without ceasing. And, and they were very serious about this. And they were, they were asking God, they were crying out to God to stretch out his hand and help them. They weren't just offering prayers of lip service. They weren't just showing up and going through the motions. This other shoe was dropping on them, all over them, around them. I mean, if they can do this with, with James and with Peter, what are they going to do with me? But their prayers made a difference. There's power in a praying church. And prayer is always, always, always the appropriate response to a challenge of faith or an obstacle in life. Did you know that? Prayer is always an appropriate response. It really gets under my skin when somebody says, well, the least we can do is pray. I think that's thinking a little too highly of ourselves if that's the least we can do because that's exactly what God wants us to do. Prayer is always the appropriate response. And that's what's so awesome. And I, I hope to be in a place someday where every single thing that comes up, that my natural reaction is to pray. Good, bad, ugly. I want my natural reaction, my, my gut check reaction. I want, to, I want to pray about that. I want to get to that point in my life where I am in that, where Paul talks about being in that constant state of prayer. I want to be there. The believer's natural reaction here in the book of Acts was to pray, and we see how powerful it can be because an angel shows up and frees Peter. Even the city gate opens up on its own. I've been in a couple places where I thought a door opened up on its own. I wasn't very comfortable in that. Just going to be honest with you. I was like, well, that's a little weird. You ever been in your house or in a building and you, you hear a noise, you hear a creak, you think, oh, what is that? I'm pretty sure because Peter thought he was dreaming. Peter thought he was having a vision. Peter was probably thinking, this is a little bit weird. This is a little bit strange. But you know what? That whole idea, and, and, we, and, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but even, even when Peter shows up and he's knocking on the door, what is the response of everybody? Oh, no, it can't be Peter. 
Oh, no, 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 no. He, he's in jail. It cannot be Peter. He's being guarded by 16 Roman soldiers, four squads of four men. Now, Roman soldiers, you know, I don't know if y'all remember this, but, uh, you know, several years back, if you were going to be part of Washington State Patrol, you had to at least be six foot tall. Did you know that? I know that because when I was like 17-ish um, or so, I was driving on I-90 back when I think it was only 60 miles an hour. And I don't know how fast I was going, but I was going. I was in fifth gear and I was passing everything. And you know, they used to have them big outcroppings of rocks in the middle of I-90 all throughout there. You know, they busted a lot of them down, but the state patrol used to sit there next to them rocks every once in a while. You come around the corner and oops, there'd be one. And I did that. He was finishing up some paperwork and the other guy pulled out and I just went and I saw him. So I started slowing down. And by the time he caught up with me and pulled me over, I had slowed down to 73. You know, I didn't think a little five speed Subaru would go that fast. Really didn't. So he comes up, big old tall guy, snake eye glasses, you know, the just mirrored glasses and puts his thumbs over his belt. Son, do you know how fast you're going? Not really. No. Well, by the time I caught up to you, you'd slowed down to 73. I noticed you had your brake lights on. Oh. Can you give me your license and registration? Now, I had bought that car or was buying that car from my mother. And I think she had bought it in 1984. And this is like 1990-ish, somewhere in there. And I think every registration she'd ever had was in that glove box. I went in. I grabbed it. There was a pile of them. And I couldn't find the right one. He said, son, just hand me one of them. Your tabs are current. So I did. I was kind of shaken. You know, big, tall guy. I don't know if you noticed, I'm not that tall. When I was younger in high school, I wasn't this thick either, okay? I was a little thinner. I had to run around in the shower just to get wet, you know? So I give him that, and he says, I need your license. Wouldn't you know it? I had one of them wallets where my license had gotten hot and kind of almost just adhered itself to the plastic part in there, you know, and I couldn't get it out. And I'm shaking, and I'm shaking. And finally, I just handed it, and he says, well, let me try, and he pulled it out for me. And then he goes back to his car. He comes back to me for a little bit, and he says, uh, to me something and I and I said well I found the right registration he says okay 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 and he says son it's gonna be all right it's gonna be all right you're not gonna go to jail and I said sir I am not worried about you I'm worried about having to tell my mother I got a ticket so he goes back to run everything in his car you know and and he's back there and I'm watching my rear view and I notice you know, because they had to take the big funny hats off, you know, to get into the car. He was that tall. And um, I noticed at one point in time, he threw his head back and was laughing. I couldn't hear it, but I could sure see what was going on in my rearview mirror. And I'm betting you every state patrolman 
in eastern Washington was hearing the story about this kid who was shaken because he was going to have to tell his mother. You know, we had a rule in our house. Mom would pay the insurance until what? Until we turned 18 or, you know, got out of high school or we got a ticket. Now, I got to tell you, my mom, and she's probably watching this morning, did not find out about this ticket until my 21st birthday. Mom worked for Farmer's Insurance. That's who our insurance was through. Mom's best friend, Fran, worked for Farmer's Insurance. And I called up Farmer's Insurance after I got home and said, Fran, this is Danny Lewis. Is my mom around? She says, yeah. I said, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. I need to find out if this ticket's going to, you know, cause the insurance to go up. And she starts in. How bad was it? And I start telling her. I start going, and she's like, oh, Danny, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to, you know, I don't know how this is going to do. And she looks, you know, of course, she's looking up to see how many other tickets I have. That was my only ticket. In fact, to date, that is my only ticket. I'm 49. That was my only ticket. Okay? And she says, well, it's not going to do anything. And I said, promise you won't tell my mom. Well, she promised. You know, I didn't tell you the rest of the story because before the state patrolman left, because I'd never had a ticket before, I asked him, I said, um, do you want cash or check? I was going to pay him right there. It was only, he, he had to write me a ticket. I don't know if you know this on I-90, there's like this little tiny sliver of Lincoln County. And if I'd have just rolled another few hundred feet into Spokane County, I could have gotten away with not having to pay anything. But because Lincoln County is mandatory that you get a ticket, I had to pay a whole whopping 38 bucks for my ticket. I was just going to write him out a check right there. I had some cash in my wallet. I was going to let him keep the change. He kind of laughed, turned it over and said, just mail it in over here. That guy was a big, imposing, tall you know, and he thinks I'm scared to death of him. But I want to tell you, the Roman soldiers that had Peter, they were even more. They were the finest physical specimens that Rome had. You want to talk about intimidating? They'd have been intimidating. And here's Peter walking past the first guard. Walking past this. You want to know why he thinks it's a dream? Because there is no way on his own that he would ever have done that. He's in disbelief. The people, he's knocking on the door, they're in disbelief. What does that tell us about ourselves, about human nature? Again, are we praying as we ought to pray? Am I praying as I ought to pray? Are you praying as you ought to pray? Are we doing what we need to be doing as children of God? If God works through our prayers, are we doing that? But not only does it tell us something about ourselves, it also tells us something about God. And that's this. It doesn't take much faith for God to respond to our prayers. You know, Douglas said something about when Jesus told the story about having as much faith as a mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed before, but I'll tell you what. They're not very big friend of ours had brought a whole Ziploc baggie of mustard seeds. 
And somehow, because we were talking about it with some teens in church, somehow that Ziploc baggie got opened. Go figure. Well, we were passing it around. We wanted them to see how small they were. And mustard seeds got everywhere. And I don't just, I mean, everywhere. I think four years later, we were still finding mustard seeds out of a little quart size, you know, sandwich size Ziploc baggie. And not all of them spilled out. It was just a few of them, you know, well, maybe half of the bag. But man, those things are about as bad as glitter. Sorry for those of you who craft. I'm not a fan of glitter. Glitter gets everywhere and you never get rid of it. Guess what? Go spill some mustard seed. It's going to get everywhere and you'll never get rid of it. God doesn't require a lot of faith to respond to our prayers. And, you know, like I said earlier, I really, really like watching movies. One of my favorite movies is um, the Three Santa Claus movies. Have you ever seen those before? Scott Calvin, SC, Santa Claus. You know, I always thought that was kind of cool. But he, he goes around that first night, he's in absolute disbelief. He can't believe he's Santa, even though he's shrinking up and going down through stovepipes, even though he ends up at the North Pole, even though he's, he's, he's being pulled around in a sleigh by reindeer. He gets done delivering that last package. And do you know what he says? He said, you know, the, the all, all have a good night. You know, Merry Christmas to all and may all have a, a good night. And then he says this, and I'm getting a CAT scan in the morning because he can't believe what's going on. It's kind of illustrative of how often we deny truth right in front of us. Am I praying as I ought to pray? Are we praying as we ought to pray? Are you praying as you ought to pray? I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man of prayer. And I got to tell you, I got to confess sometimes, I try to do things in my own strength. I think I can handle that. God gave me some skills and abilities. I think I can handle that. (laughs) When I get to the end of it, usually I'm, Lord, I wish I'd have prayed about this first. You ever been there? God, I wish wish I'd prayed about this first before I started out. Sometimes I only ask for help after I've tried it in my own strength. David Busick is one of our general superintendents here in the Church of the Nazarene. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but every Monday morning at 10 o'clock, there's a group of pastors that get on uh, a Zoom call, we call it. It's actually probably Google Meets or something with NNU. And they call it Iron Sharpens Iron. It was kind of a result of what happened when the shutdown happened with the pandemic. And we were able to get together. It was, it was kind of a, a response Um, for them not having Palcon, but it's kind of stuck. He got online one time and was meeting with us. In fact, he's got a new book coming out called um, The Praying Pastor. Now, I get it that he's writing this to pastors, but you and I are part of a royal priesthood, and I believe that there are some things like prayer that are just... um, Integral to the life of the disciple, whether you are clergy or not. And in his book, he is talking about the difference between a pastor who prays and a praying pastor. 
Prayer is an important spiritual discipline in the life and ministry of every Christian who is called to shepherd Jesus' flock. The minutia of ministry can wear pastors down and make prayer fear, feel more like an obligation. Do you ever feel like prayer is an obligation? Sometimes it is, isn't it? He goes on to say something to do in church services. It's something we do at hospital bedsides, and it's something of a necessity rather than a desired activity. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? I've been there, going through the motions, doing my duty. But this could be said of any of us, not just of pastors. And so I want us to really think about, am I praying as I ought to pray? Are we as a church praying as we ought to pray? Are you praying as you ought to pray? You see, we tend to pray two different kinds of prayers. One is, get me out. Have you been there? <laughs> Lord, get me out of this. The other one is, get me through. You know the get me out prayers? Get me out of this job, get me out of this mess, get me out of this debt, get me out, get me out, get me out. And they're not bad prayers. There are some times we need to pray. I mean, let's be real. The church is praying for Peter to get out, right? Get him out of jail. Get him out. But then there are prayers that are get me through. And I'm wondering if we don't need to learn some prevailing get me through prayers. Asking God to give us the grace to sustain us, the strength to stand firm, the perseverance to keep on keeping on. Because there's a difference between praying get me out and get me through. Some of us have been going through struggles. We've all experienced it. We've prayed those get-me-out prayers. But sometimes, I think it's important for us to pray those get-me-through prayers. You know, for whatever reason, I can't explain it to you. You are going to experience a trial. Jesus promised his disciples. He's promised us. It is not going to be a bed of roses. Come follow me, and I'm going to make everything easy. That's not what he said. <laughs> I wish it was what he said. It sounds awful good to me. Hmm. No, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. He told his disciples, there's a time coming when you are going to be persecuted. Guys, we are going to have suffering. I was once preaching on suffering, doing a, a sermon series on suffering, and somebody came to tell me, he's, she said, I, I never want to waste suffering. I thought, well, that's intriguing. You're going to have to unpack that suitcase for me because I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, I don't want to waste suffering. She went on to explain that, you know, God is not the author of suffering. We live outside of the Garden of Eden. We live in a broken world. Jesus said there would be suffering that's going to enter into our lives, and I don't want to waste suffering because I want God to squeeze every bit of good out of my situation so that I can draw closer to him. I don't want to miss out. She said, you know, it's biblical. I love that line. 
I used that line one time when I had a person call me up about something, and I, and I, I quoted them a scripture. I said, wait a minute, what about this scripture? And they said, well, if you want to get all biblical about it. I said, well, I'm a pastor. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if anything. If anything, we ought to be biblical about it, right? She said it's biblical because our suffering can build character. Our suffering can teach us something. Our suffering can strengthen our resolve. Our suffering can prepare us to minister to someone else. Our suffering can develop me to be a witness of God's grace. Folks, we need to be about not just praying, get me out of this situation. I can't tell you over the last two and a half years, I was like, God, get us out of this pandemic. As I prepared this ministry, I have to confess to you, I should have been praying, God, get us through. Get us through. Help us to persevere. Help us to love each other because you know what? There wasn't a whole lot of, and there still isn't a whole lot of loving each other. Help us, Lord God, get us through. Because whatever the reason God hasn't delivered, whatever reason he hasn't gotten us out of something, asking God to get us through is just as an appropriate prayer as get us out. You know, every discouraging time that I've had in my life has always been when I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. You know that? I mean, think about it. You know, Jesus walking on the water. Peter's like, oh, Jesus, just tell me to come out there and I'll come out there. Well, come on, Peter, let's go. He jumps out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. And what does the Bible say right there? And this is my paraphrase, but it says there that, G that Peter begins to notice the waves, right? Now, I was just up in, in, in Post Falls up at Ross Point uh, Campground for what we call lead retreat. And um, I noticed that in the morning, the river, even though it was moving, was just smooth as glass. But the minute the wind picked up a little bit, what happened to the surface of the water? Peter looks out and he looks out there and he sees waves. They're significant waves. And what happens? He now focuses on the storm that's going on. He focuses on the choppy water, and he's thinking to himself, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into, and what happens? He begins to sink. Storms do that. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, storms do that. They deplete our tanks. You know, your spiritual tank, your emotional tank, your, your love-filled tank, your financial tank, Right? When our tanks are empty, we lose perspective. And then in the middle of the storm, while we're all just all worried about everything else and everything's depleted within us, the evil one comes along and he says, I think you should quit. Why even bother? You're not going to make it. Nobody really cares. Folks, I got to tell you, Satan's a liar. He is the father of lies. When he begins to tell you these kinds of things, you just quit, just give up. You're not, you're not, nobody really cares. That's the time you know. It's time to focus in on Jesus. Your eyes have gotten maybe a little off 
the mark. Jesus is going to get us through. If there's anyone that's going to help us in a storm, if there's anyone that's going to help keep us from ruining our lives, if there's anyone that's going to keep us on the straight and narrow, it's Jesus. So let me ask you again. Are we praying as we ought to pray? I'm going to ask Heidi to come up and to sing a song for us this morning. And I'm going to ask you as the church body to come and to pray. Now, I know, I know how hard it is sometimes to get down on my knees. But you know what? I'm going to ask us, and if you can't get on your knees, we got some front pews that are not occupied. I know, we're good Nazarenes. We sit in the back half of the church, right? So we can beat the Baptists to the buffet, right? But could we as a body this morning come and pray? Pray for our community. Pray for the witness that we have to our neighbors. Pray for the witness we have to each other. Could we come together this morning as the family of God and simply seek God and his will and his way for us as individuals, for us as the body of Christ. Could we do that? Would you join with me this morning? Let's come and talk with Jesus. Heavenly Father God, we just, Lord God, we just place ourselves at your feet today, Lord. We want to submit our lives to you. Lord God, like this song says, we have been so blessed to live in your goodness. And Father God, how freeing that goodness is. How wonderful, even in the tough times, Lord God, we have the joy of our salvation, our first love. Lord God, you don't just leave us alone to walk through the, the terrible times alone, but Lord God, you have given us a church family and you've given us your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit like a down payment on what is yet to come. Father God, we want those around us to be able to live in peace. Live at peace with you in right relationship with you and understand what that means to lay your head down at night and to know that whether you wake up in the morning in this world or in the next, that you are, you are safe in the arms of God, our creator. And Father God, we want to be able to, to share with our, our neighbors and our friends and our families, Lord God, the peace with each other that we have because you live in us and through us. In a day and age where, Father God, it seems like we just want to shout our own opinions and, and, and yell and scream from the mountaintops and, and there's just so much violence and hate and anger and frustration in this world, Lord God, you give peace. Father God, we, we want others to experience what we have. Lord God, the desire of our heart is that you would work such a deep work within us that you would be able to work through us. God, we love you. We thank you.
and we praise you for all that you've done. We thank you and praise you for all that you're going to do. We believe you are not finished with us yet. And we are here. We are here for this time and and this place, Lord God. Constantly through your word, we see the people who show up that say, Lord God, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to do what you ask me to do. Father God, we are here. Send us. Richland, Kennewick, Pasco, the different places where we live in our homes, send us. You're asking for people. You're asking for those disciples who are, who are ready to follow you and to show others what it means to love God and love each other. Send us. We're here. We are able. Send us. Work in us and through us for those around us. Give us the opportunities, Lord God, to show your love and your compassion to others. Stretch out your hand and continue to work through us in this community. Lord God, we have so experienced what it means to live in your goodness. Help us to share that with others. Help us to remember to pray, to pray and intercede on behalf of those around us, Lord God. I don't know the names of our neighbors over on Jason Loop, Lord God, but we pray for them every day. Send us, Lord God. The neighbors that we have in the homes that we live in, send us, Lord God. Work through us, Lord God to bring about your will and your goodness in their life. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.